Welcome to another Inside the U podcast. You can visit the website InsideTheU.com, follow us on Twitter at InsideTheU, or email the show InsideTheUPodcast at gmail.com. This is Christopher Stock. I'm joined with David Lake as always, and we have a special guest, Nate Adelson, here to talk about recruiting. How's it going, guys? Good, good. Excited to, to bring Nate on the show and, and talk recruiting with him. Yeah, and it's everything's good on my end as well. I know, like I said, the team's been the mo- the main focus for most of the way, but I know fans are interested in recruiting, so I figured it would be a good idea to get people up to speed on that too. And Nate, I know that uh, I knew that you were going to come on the show, and, I, and uh, this weekend I, I wanted to bring up a story. I remember when you know I was watching the the Bengals Chiefs game and saw Gio and Bernard do well, and I remember a funny story when you know that you witnessed there with Gio uh, back in high school. Uh, you you want to share that story, Nate, or? what you remember of the the funny story with Gio? Yeah, so I I remember we were out at the um, St. Thomas Aquinas spring game. This was Gio was a junior, but he was going into his senior year, and St. Thomas was coming off uh, a national title at the time, so their stock was, you know, sky high. They were loaded with talent, uh, pretty much every position. I could start listing off the names, but it would take too long. Um, So we're out there, and... uh, because of all the talent on St. Thomas Aquinas, the, it was a zoo with college coaches. I maybe 40 college coaches out there. I remember Florida out there, Ohio State out there. Obviously, Miami was out there uh, with, with multiple assistant coaches. And we, we were standing, uh, Chris and I were standing alongside a uh, uh, Miami assistant coach who's no longer on staff uh, at, at this point, but he was at the time. And he was, he was out there looking at um, St. Thomas Aquinas cornerback Cody Riggs because uh, Miami had offered Giovanni Bernard as well as some other guys there, but they hadn't offered Riggs. And they were evaluating Riggs, deciding if he was a guy that they should go after. And so the, uh, the scrimmage ends. St. Thomas does an uh, intra-squad thing. They don't play another team the way a lot of other high schools do. And um, the guys are walking off the field, and the Miami assistant uh, is under the wrong impression that Giovanni Bernard is Cody Riggs. Um, and so he's looking at him, and he's, he's surprised how big he is because Bernard had rigs by a good 30, 40 pounds. And he, and he seemed pleased by how big Bernard was. Although I don't think that was necessarily a good thing because, uh, you wouldn't want a cornerback to look like Bernard. And, and plus, uh, they really didn't look similar at all. Uh, Bernard had kind of a little Afro Riggs had pretty much no hair. So there's no way you would confuse the two, but this Miami assistant truly did not know the difference between the two. And I think that's kind of a reflection of, where Miami recruiting was at at that time. And it's something that always sticks with me, even, you know, five, six years later, one of the funniest things I've seen in recruiting. Yeah, it was ridiculous. I mean, we were literally like 10 feet away, and you kind of do a double take, like, really? And again, Miami had offered him, and everyone who Gio was, he was a big deal. And it's like, really? You don't know the difference? It was just kind of definitely one of those shake-your-head moments. And and, and you mentioned a funny moment. We've definitely seen funny moments over the years with things like this. And obviously, we don't report stuff, and it doesn't get out there. But maybe, you know, this is kind of a a good way to share some of that. So let's get into the 2016 class. Um, Miami's got 22 commits right now. David, what's your impressions of the class? Uh, What do you think of what you've seen uh, with, with this class? Yeah, so I think, you know, the first thing that kind of stands out about the class as a whole is it's very Florida heavy. And, uh, you know, that's something that certainly coach golden and the rest of the staff have focused on with this 2016 class is, uh, you know, targeting a bunch of Florida guys, which is something that, that the staff has been criticized for in the past with their lack of signing Florida guys. So, 
Miami's done a good job, a better job of um, signing or having commits from Florida in this 2016 class. I think, uh, you know, you look at the, the top half of the class and there's definitely some, some good players there. We can get into that later. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I do think it's early. There's still a long way to go before signing day and everything is official. But I do think so far this is the best class that, that Al Golden has lined up. Nate, have you, are there some guys, I mean, you do the, you know, the weekly stat thing every, every week on how guys do uh, with their high school season. Are, are there some guys that, you, that you're looking at like, man, every, every week this guy's producing? Um, who, who's kind of having good, uh, good senior years this year? I mean, I know one guy who's having a good senior year is uh, Wellington wide receiver Amon Richards. Although, and I don't want to downplay it at all, but he had such a good season last year as a junior that as a senior, even though, you know, he's putting up really good numbers, uh, he did the same thing last year. So it's, it's still good to see. You would want to see him maintain that level of production, but it's not particularly surprising just because the numbers he put up last year were, were pretty astronomical. I mean, in the, in, the con- in the context of so many great South Florida receivers, he put up numbers that are rarely seen, if ever, uh, in South Florida. And he did that as a junior on a team that you know didn't have as much talent as some of these other squads do. So uh, it's, it's still good to see him maintain that. Uh, but that's not actually too big of a surprise, think, all things considered. I think Amon is uh, pretty underrated, to be honest with you. I mean, he's rated a four-star kid, but he's on the lower side of the four-star rating. And, I mean, like Nate's touched on, his stats are just always ridiculous. He always makes plays. And, uh, you know, even when he play, he plays a little defense, too, and he manages to to make some picks on defense as well. Uh, you know, Amon Richards is a guy that Nate, I mean, I think you agree, Miami's really going to have to fight to, to keep in this class. Right. And that, that was something I was going to get into more later when we start talking about some, some commits that are, that are looking elsewhere. But yeah, Richards, I mean, there's a reason other schools are trying to get him away because he's talented. He makes things happen. Other people are, or other programs are recognizing that he committed so early to Miami that at the time he was, I I don't want to say a secret, but he just wasn't established the way he is now. And now that people see what he can do, he's a pretty hot commodity on the recruiting trail. And there's some other guys, you know, some other receivers in the class that are definitely interesting topics of conversation. You got Sam Bruce, who's the highest rated guy right now committed. And then you have Deontay Mullins, another receiver uh, with has an interesting story. You guys, with, with Sam Bruce, everyone wants to know, is he going to stick with Miami, you think? Is he a guy that, because um, everything, you know, you hear, especially with Florida, you know, his relationship uh, with Jordan Scarlett and things like that, he, he says he's sticking with Miami. What what do you guys expect, or how do you expect his recruitment to go now until signing day? Yeah, I mean, me personally, it to me, I would boil this down to Jordan Scarlett at Florida versus Kevin Beard at Miami, the wide receivers coach. Uh, you know, like you touched on, Sam Bruce has a very strong relationship with Jordan Scarlett. I mean, he views him as a brother, and I think that's legitimate. Uh, you know, Scarlett was committed to Miami all of last recruiting class until the last month, and he ended up signing with Florida. So would I be shocked if Sam does the same thing? No. Uh, what Miami has in their favor is Kevin Beard, who has a very strong relationship with Sam Bruce as well. I mean, he Sam Bruce says, you know, he's known Kevin Beard forever. 
as a, even going back to when he was a little kid, growing up, I think, in the church, him and Kevin Beard went to the same church, and then he was coached by him on the South Florida Express 7-on-7 team. So I think it's going to be close. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I kind of expect him – at this point, I would – I would not be shocked if he ends up with Florida. Yeah, and I, I, I feel pretty much the same way. I mean, one thing I've been watching with Sam Bruce is, yes, uh, he just sent an official visit up to Ohio State. That's going to be in about a week or two. Um, but I've been paying attention to what he's been doing with Florida because I think they're the main threat. He mentions Florida State from time to time, and he may end up taking a visit there. But I think Florida's the main threat. I believe he's been to Florida three times for games this year unofficially already, which is a lot. I mean, and he has yeah. not been at Miami yet, although it's a little different circumstance because he can't just go to as many Miami games as he'd like because of the, uh, because of the NCAA sanctions that are still uh, hanging around. But I, the fact that he's been to Florida three times, I mean, things are definitely strengthening there. Um, and his quarterback commitment in the 2017 class, uh, Jake Allen, is already with Florida, and Allen is definitely pushing Bruce pretty hard to switch to Florida. So that's Florida is definitely the school I'm keeping an eye on. And the thing with Sam, you know, just in general, like big picture wise, bringing this back to big picture, Miami recruiting guys like Sam Bruce are guys that Miami has to start getting again. Miami has to start winning these big time battles against Florida and Florida state for these top recruits. If Miami is going to be back. And I mean, Sam Bruce is a smaller receiver, but He's that rare small receiver that can be a difference maker and game changer because of his speed and explosion. And, uh, you know, Miami cannot let Sam Bruce, and this has been an issue with Golden, you know, since he's been here, kind of the top echelon guys end up going to Florida and Florida State. Miami has to keep Sam Bruce at home. You mentioned, you know, obviously we talked about, so now we talked about Sam Bruce and Maud Richards as possible, you know, just to watch the recruitment over the next few months. And, and obviously if, if Al, because the big talk, you know, if Al Golden gets fired, which is a possibility, if that were to happen, if the, if the UM were to move on past that after this season, I think we all understand that, yeah, everything changes. The recruiting landscape changes, the class changes, you know, just because there's so many more variables. But if we just take a look at, let's just assume Golden stays, but who are some guy? Who are some other guys that could be a possible? Let's just keep the situation the same with the coaching staff and not throw that in. But let's just say, like, what what other players are are worth or, or who are worth paying attention to, or who are some other possibilities uh, that their recruitment could go, go down to the end and, and could possibly flip away from Miami? Yeah, go ahead, Nate. I think you you know this best. Yeah, well, one guy I was going to bring up, Richards and and Bruce are certainly um, pretty pretty obvious candidates but another guy I was going to talk about was Santa Lucia's linebacker Zach McLeod. Uh, McLeod is he's been committed to Miami for a while he committed during his junior season so he's been on board uh, since November I was uh, November I believe which is almost a year now but um, in the spring his recruitment really took off he started picking up a bunch of uh, big SEC offers and then over the summer he started he, he always kind of expressed the desire to check out some other options and over the summer, he finally got around to doing that. He checked out Georgia. He checked out Auburn. Uh, I believe Florida and Florida State also got visits. And now he's certainly talking about taking officials. Uh, I don't think he has certain dates or locations. But uh, he saw enough on those summer trips to convince him that he needs to keep those doors open and keep investigating what else is out there. And he, he does like Miami. He did sign his grant and aid uh, agreement in August, which is always a good sign, although uh, as has been 
said in the recruiting world that only ties the school to the recruit, not the recruit to the school. Um, so it, it only takes you so far. But, um, you know, so for now, everything is, is OK with Miami. It doesn't seem too dangerous. But anytime you have schools like Florida, Florida State, Auburn, Georgia uh, lurking and he's going to take official visits there, that's certainly a situation to watch moving forward. What about some guys? We mentioned some of these top level guys uh, that, that you liked. You mentioned, you know, with Richards being possibly a, a lower rank guy. Who are some of these other guys in this club? There's a there's a bunch of three star prospects right now. Are, are there some guys that um, that you like um, uh, in the class that are, that are three stars, but they you know just like how they play because we see this so much. It's kind of a a plus or minus system with the three stars. It feels like you like them or, or you kind of like well they're just kind of guys. But I guess just first off, I, I want to mention is with Deion Jackson, the corner out of Hallandale. David, I know we saw him this summer uh, play some games. I mean, six one and all of six one. You know, just real long and lanky, and uh, he he's a guy that that I think ha- has a lot of ability. Um, and, and he's he's definitely one of those plus guys that you like, even though he's a three star. Yeah, I mean, Dion's rated a three star. To me, he's definitely a four star corner. I mean, he's he's the prototypical um, bump and run cornerback. I mean, he will get his hands on you at the line of scrimmage and redirect a, a wide receiver wherever he wants to go because he's so long and so strong. And you know, we even saw him make some nice plays at, on the ball when when we watched him last. So. Certainly, I mean, I think, I think Dion's a an underrated guy. I, you know, I kind of like their uh, their other cornerback commit too, um, Tyler Bird from Naples. Um, you know, he's an, he's another guy who's big, long, and strong at corner. So I think you got two guys in, in Tyler and Dion who can be future starters at Miami, and you feel good about that. It's funny because Deion Jackson was the exact name I was going to mention. There was a a specific quote that sticks with me about Deion Jackson that I wanted to share with people because I think it got talked a little bit about the time uh, that Deion committed to Miami, which was a while ago now. But um, Brett Getz, who's the the coach of the South Florida Express 7-on-7 team and has has operated that since its inception, I think was in 2008 and 2009, somewhere around there. And when Deion committed to Miami – he said something to the effect that uh, Dion is the best cornerback we've ever had that played for the South Florida Express, and that's really high praise. I mean, the amount of talent that has come through that uh, that seven on seven team. There have been some really elite cornerbacks who have played for that team over the years, and and I'm not going to sit here and and tell you that Dion's better than every one of them because that would really be saying a lot. But the fact that he's even in that conversation, I think, says how people feel about him. Are there are there any other other guys? I know Cedric Wright's having a pretty good season. He seems to make plays there at Gulliver, a little undersized safety, you know, defensive back there. Are there other guys that you're looking at, like you know, that that are having good seasons, Nate? Yeah, well, an, another guy who's who's had a good season, and we had a we had a story on him on on Inside the U not too long ago. But that's a uh, Hallandale running back Zach Moss. Moss transferred in uh, last year. He played for a smaller school that wasn't really particularly well known for football. And, and people certainly wondered, OK, how's he going to do playing for a bigger school like Hallandale that faces tougher teams each week? And how was he going to do with that step up in competition? And he's done pretty well so far. I mean, not only has he put up yardage and he's got a seems like that he's developed a pretty good nose for the end zone. But um, but even the 
one of the questions about him was his explosiveness, his speed. You know, what could he be a big play guy or was he just a guy that would grind it out for smaller gains? And his his average per carry has actually been pretty good. Eight, it's it's like eight or nine yards per carry against good competition. So that's you know, I've been pleasantly surprised with the senior season he's had. I didn't know exactly what to expect, but he's impressed so far. And and Hallandale's certainly a good team. That helps too. Let's talk about another running back, Travis Homer's having a good year. And Nate, you want to talk about Travis a little bit and also, you know, just the landscape of, you know, running backs in Florida, South Florida, national scene. I mean, we've talked about this before, Nate, but can you, well, first off, just talk about Travis and then just also what do you, what do you think about the, the running back position, uh, the landscape of college football recruiting right now with this class? Yeah, well, Tra- Travis is also having a good senior season. I, his his uh, situation is kind of an interesting one to follow because he's not playing for a St. Thomas Aquinas or a Northwestern or some powerhouse school. He's playing for Oxbridge Academy, which is a new football program. I believe this is their third year in existence. They've put up good records the past two years, but they nobody knew how good they were because they weren't eligible to be in the playoffs. I think when you join the FH, FHSAA, you have to wait two years before you're eligible. This year, they're finally eligible. They're playing a tougher schedule. Uh, and I was really curious to see how Homer would do against, you know, some really capable teams. And the truth is he's done well. You know, he's been good for, you know, 100 plus yards and pretty much every game. And his team's doing well also. So, you know, that that's another pleasant surprise. And his stock has really gone up. I mean, in the spring, he was he was, you know, well regarded and a guy that was considered as one of the better backs in the state. But I think with the, the way he did over the summer at the opening and how he's performed uh, his senior year, now he's regarded as the guy in the state of Florida and South Florida. Yeah, uh, I'll say, I'll say, I saw him back in the spring at the uh, Nike camp. I think it was like early March, late February, about that time. And uh, you know, it was fairly obvious at that time that. Because running back is just one of those positions where it's, you know, size, speed. Does the guy have that combination? And Travis Homer was by far the best size, speed guy in South Florida at that camp. And to me, it was fairly obvious. And, uh, you know, he's proved, you know, through a, a good spring and then early season here that it's definitely translating onto the football field. One thing I know that, that, he's kind of added to his game this year as kind of a power element. He's really shown a nice power uh, while he runs the ball, breaking through tackles. And he's always had the speed to his game, but he's kind of becoming a, a very nice, well-rounded running back right now. And, you know, Chris asked about, um, you know, kind of the national landscape for running back recruiting, both nationally, in-state, and locally. And as I mentioned, Homer has established himself as – the number one guy pretty much uh, in South Florida and the state of Florida. Uh, and I don't want to take away anything from Homer. You know, he's a guy that Miami fans should be excited about coming in and a guy that certainly could contribute from day one at Miami. But the where Homer is, he's he 24-7 sports actually ranks him third in the nation uh, among running backs. And the, that's kind of a reflection of that it's a weaker year in state uh, and a weaker year nationally uh, for running backs um, because Homer's good. But if you think about uh, some of the guys from last year, the Jordan Scarlets, the Jordan Cronkrites, Dexter Williams, Mark Walton, um, I don't think this running back class measures up to last year's class that everybody talks so much about. And I don't think last year's class measures up to the year before that, which had Dalvin Cook, Sony Michelle, and Joseph Yearby. I that. That class was an, an unbelievably strong group uh, that really spoiled fans as far as what to expect from running back. So last year, 
the 2015 class was a step down from that. And then I think this 2016 class is another step down from the 2015 class. Yeah, and also just, you know, with uh, staying with offense, uh, with Jack Allison, David, I know you've seen him in person. Uh, a lot of fans want to know. I mean, I mean, everyone, you know, you look at it just from the Miami perspective, Jack Allison, assuming he signs as is, as expected there. Brad Kaya, starter now, turns it over to Jack Allison. I think that's what fans expect. Or, you know, just because Jack's a highly rated guy, do you see that happening? Do you basically what I'm, or, or more so, just, is Jack that type of a guy? And this, what were your impressions of seeing him? Um, is he just, you know, what were your impressions? Because you've actually gotten to see him play. Yeah, I mean, I think Jack is definitely the guy you look at if he signs with Miami that will take over for Brad Kaya. Um, Jack certainly has plenty of things he needs to clean up in his game. But, I mean, that's how it is at the high school level. He's not He's not a finished product by any means. What he does have is a big arm. He can make any throw in any offense. Uh, he's tall. He he does. He's skinny. He's on the skinnier side. But I mean, a year or two in Miami's weight program, that won't be an issue at all. Uh, and he does seem to have a good understanding about how to run an offense. Uh, you know, I saw him play in a game earlier this year, and he really doesn't have much talent around him at his high school. There's no really good receivers there's no really good running backs um but he still he manages to to find them with quick passes quick little hitches and he'll work his way down a field methodically um you know when i saw him in a seven on seven setting when he had more of an all-star cast around him he was definitely pushing the ball downfield more you know throwing deep posts making really impressive throws um one thing that that does stand out to me about jack and i've said this I've said this before, but he's definitely a streaky guy. So he, uh, you know, when he's hot and when he's on, he's one of the best quarterbacks in the country. But he does have those lulls at times where, you know, you kind of question the decision making or, or, you know, he can sail some balls high at times, uh, which which he'll clean up when he gets his mechanics tighter. Uh, But yeah, I mean, and honestly, I saw Brad Kaya in high school and, and we saw some some of those same hotness and coldness things about Brad but I guess you look at it as you know when you see him hot that's at their best and that's kind of their ceiling and so I would say Jack Allison's ceiling is very high and you should feel good about that as a you know future starting quarterback at Miami we've talked so much about the offensive guys defensively I mean you can't talk about Miami recruiting you can't have a podcast like this and not bring up where Miami ranks or where they've stood with defensive tackles because it has been an issue. Essentially, as soon as Al Golden got here, everyone knows that they needed defensive tackles, they needed premier guys, and they've actually had their name in the running for a lot of these guys, but they just have not recruited at the level they need to recruit at. Nate, what have you seen, or can you pinpoint maybe why they've had so much struggle, especially when it seems like it is a point of emphasis uh, each year, and it seems like they, they do, they come up short each year. I trace some of those struggles back. It's it's funny, uh, back to the 2013 class, which is the class where they had Keith Bryant from Atlantic committed, and he, he ended up uh, with Florida State on signing day. They were uh, certainly felt they had a good chance at landing Jaynard Bostwick uh, out of Port St. Lucie, and he picked Florida on signing day, and they ended up not getting a single defensive tackle in that class. And even though that was a few years ago, I feel like they've been trying to play catch-up ever since. That set them back 
to a point that they're still working to recover from uh, even three years later. But as far as the uh, the current struggles, one one thing I've noticed is uh, they're just fighting the geography battle. Uh, they, for example, they have Miami has thirty offers out to defensive tackle prospects in this recruiting class, and only three of the thirty are closer to Miami than Atlanta. So when you're constantly having to go into SEC territory or Big Ten territory or Big 12 territory to fight for top defensive tackle guys, that's tough. It's hard to go into other teams' backyards and sell these guys on going away from home and coming to Miami. Uh, and, and those yeah, those geographical battles are just tough to win. If, you're, if the team's winning a lot and you're really a hot program, sometimes you can overcome those types of things. But obviously Miami hasn't been winning 10 games or playing in huge bowl games these past few years. And that's a hard sell to convince a defensive tackle to come that far away. Yeah, I guess, Nate, is there anyone that you feel like Miami's in good shape with right now at D-tackle? Nobody that looks particularly obvious um, because, again, all their targets are uh, further away. They don't have that local guy that they can count on as a, a guy that looks overly likely. But among the out-of-state guys, a couple guys that that seem to be pretty interested are um, Glenn Logan, who's out of uh, Destrehan, Louisiana. That's Ed Reed's old high school for uh, for those who recognize the name. Uh, but Logan is an LSU commit. Uh, he's been on board with them for a few months, but he unofficially visited Miami after he committed to LSU. And he's also lined up an official visit to Miami in December, I believe it is. Uh, and he's certainly a guy that the Miami coaches are going all out for. He's a guy that's always had an interest in Miami, even though he is an LSU commit. Um, so I think he's a guy to watch. And then the other name that I wanted to mention is Darius Whitfield. He's a, a defensive tackle out of Mobile, Alabama, uh, St. Paul's Episcopal, which, again, a very prominent high school, same high school that A.J. McCarron went to. Mark Barron also went there, so they produced some big-time guys. Uh, and Whitfield is a guy that he's got ties to the in-state schools. Uh, his older brother plays for Alabama, but he doesn't have an offer from Alabama. And then he really wants an offer from Auburn, but they haven't come through either. So the fact that those schools aren't there for him means he's a little more open, and Miami's really battling what seems like Florida and LSU uh, to land Darius Whitfield. And he's a, he's a highly touted guy, a guy fans would definitely be excited if Miami was able to land. So those are the two guys that I'm really watching right now. Nate, are there other guys that you think Miami has is in good with it, regardless of position, or who are some guys that you think that uh, Miami fans should know about, or who are some guys Miami is really, you know, that recruits that have Miami highly right now that they could land in the future. I know, I know one guy that that I would put in that category is uh, Patrick Bethel, uh, defensive end out of Vero Beach. Uh, Vero Beach has always been an area that's been fairly good to Miami, so there's that to be optimistic about. But the biggest thing with him is the fact that his father, Randy Bethel, was a tight end for Miami in the '80s, so he's a legacy. Now Patrick is a really highly touted kid. He's got offers from about everywhere. He's got. SEC schools. He's he's got a top ten that's you know just filled with college football blue blood. So it's it's not going to come easy. But the ties to Miami are fairly strong. He's visited on on numerous occasions. It's possible that he'll take an official as well. So and and Bethel is an early enrollee. So I don't know his, his exact decision timeline. But they're not going to have to wait till the last minute to find out on him. So he's definitely a a guy that I think fans should should keep an eye on and a guy that could realistically end up in this class. Uh, tied in Michael Irvin Jr., a uh, name I don't want to forget about. Uh, just basically, everyone's going to see the name, and, and the next question is just how good is he? David, what's your impressions of what you know about Michael Irvin Jr.? 
Yeah, I mean, I think he's going to be like an H-back type uh, for this offense. Kind of similar maybe to a Chris Herndon type that's already on the team now. Uh, you know, what what I've seen of him, I, I do kind of like him. If, you know, he can be a good role player for an offense. He catches the ball well. He's, uh, you know, sneaky fast, just finds a way to get open and make tough catches. So, you know, is he his dad? No, but he can definitely be a good contributor to an offense. Nate, are there, Nate, are there, or do you want to add to my, that, that statement with just thoughts on Michael? Yeah. Yeah. I was just going to add on to that a little bit. I saw, I actually saw Michael out before he transferred to St. Thomas Aquinas. I saw him uh, in person out in Texas and yeah, he, he's just an interesting guy because at his old school, they got him the ball, you know, all, all day, all day, every game. I mean, he, he had, I can't remember the exact number, but 80 or 90 catches per year for a couple years out there in Texas. Uh, and now he comes to St. Thomas Aquinas, which is just loaded across the board. He's not seeing the ball nearly as often, and they don't throw nearly as often as his as his old school. So he's not going to put up the stats that he used to put up because his, his stats his sophomore and junior year were, were pretty mind-blowing. I mean, he was well over 1,000 yards, uh, double-digit touchdowns. Um, so you're not going to see that from him now. But he's still the same player that he was out there. He's just not being utilized in the same way that he was in Texas. Yeah, are there other Nate? Are there other defensive players uh, that Miami's looking at? And because I think when you watch the the current team and the way that the things are going, it just seems like they need, or they definitely need to improve their defense, uh, defense player personnel. Are there guys that that are out there um, that they're looking at that could help improve? And also maybe just like what's are you seeing them recruit their style of players a little bit more? Because it seemed like before. When we were watching, they were kind of just getting guys and and trying to f- make them fit. And um, but are you seeing them uh, now? Or are they? Are you seeing either style? Are they getting players that that fit the style a little bit better? Or are you seeing possibilities out there uh, defensively improvements? Yeah. Well, wh- an- another guy I'm looking at actually, there's a couple that come to mind right away. One is a, a defensive end out of Mainland in Daytona Beach named Jakai Polite, and, and you know I think he fits there. Their three-four look pretty well uh, because he's a bigger defensive end. He can definitely play on the line. He's not so much of a rush end, a guy who's a tweener with outside linebacker. He really can be a true defensive end, but he's a guy that can also rush the passer. And he's a, a guy that's been high on Miami for a while. Now Florida has come along. They've really started recruiting him, and they've come up to to be a contender. Whereas it was really just at a time it was just Miami and everybody else. And now Florida is really battling for him. But I've seen him even name Miami as his leader as recently as the past couple weeks. So he's he's definitely a guy that uh, if Miami were to land him, fans should be excited about that. Uh, and not to mention he has a couple highly touted teammates, so having success with Polite uh, could potentially bring, uh, I don't want to call it a package deal because I wouldn't put it in that category, but ha- getting him would surely help Miami recruiting his uh, a couple of his teammates. The other guy I wanted to point out is a, a safety from Palm Beach Gardens named Devin Studstill. Uh, his dad was a, a college football player at at Notre uh, at West Virginia, so he comes from good bloodlines. But he's a guy that he's a West Vir- uh, a Miami Notre Dame battle actually. So he's really kind of torn between: do I go to Notre Dame, which is a school I really like, or do I stay local with Miami? Uh, it's kind of I talked about geogra- uh, the geography battle with defensive tackles earlier. Um, they're on the other side of this one where if they land Devin Studd still, it'll probably be because he's local and because he wanted to remain close to home. So that th- both of those g- guys are guys that I'm keeping an eye on as as far as top defensive targets. Yeah, one, one, oh, guy, 
one guy I want to bring up, uh, you know, and he's committed. It's Miami, Florida State week. He's committed to Florida State. But, uh, you know, he's a guy that Miami is definitely pushing hard for. And he's, he is, you know, he makes a lot of visits to the UM campus. Um, he's definitely around the program a lot. But Jamel Cook, uh, mm-hmm. Nate, I guess, what's your feelings on Jamel Cook right now? Uh, he committed to Florida State early in the process, but that certainly hasn't stopped Miami from, from pushing for him. Yeah, like you said, they have gotten to him on campus a fair amount of times. And, of course, Miami has some uh, former Central players on the team, so that's always a positive influence, although Florida State certainly does as well. That's not a one-sided issue. Um, but, yeah, Cook Cook has been been real clear that just because he's committed to Florida State, he has not shut the door on Miami. Definitely not, not only just by the numerous visits to campus he's made, but also, I mean, he's pretty much said, hey, Miami's going all out for me. I appreciate that because they could have given up on me and just let me go to Florida State, but they've still made me a priority. And um, he's pretty much said as much that they are number two on his list and they have the best chance to change his mind from Florida State. So now what their results on the field are could go some ways in determining whether that happens or not. If, if, you know, Florida State wins a ton of games and Miami struggles, then maybe uh, it's not enough. But if Miami especially is able to represent themselves well this weekend against Florida State, which he'll surely be watching, he possibly may be even attending, uh, that could help them in their continued pursuit of Jamel Cook and trying to get him to stay local. Are there other guys? You know, this is a big you know, Miami-Florida State week. Are there other guys, And you know, if Miami were to pull off the upset, and win at Florida State. Are there other guys that, that that would really resonate well with? You know, obviously one one win doesn't change everything with recruiting. But it, but is, who are you looking at if Miami were to pull off this win? Who who are some guys that that it could really impact a, or maybe even sway him towards Miami uh, side? Are there other guys out there like like Jamel? The the one other guy that comes to mind for me as a as a guy that seems pretty clearly between Miami and Florida State is uh, an offensive lineman named Stuart Reese out of Fort Pierce Central. He's a guy that's had offers for a long time. Um, he's a huge offensive lineman, 6'5", 340 type of guy. He's more of a guard than a tackle. Um, but Reese has been he, – he has said at times that Florida State was his leader, but he's, he's talked very positively about Miami on numerous occasions. He's visited multiple times. Um, so Miami's clearly a school that he's serious about, but he does – seem to like the stability of Florida State in the sense that they've been winning more and that uh, there's that going to Florida State would be a little less of a risk for him right now than going to Miami where you're not exactly sure what the step may be or if any coaching changes are around the corner. So he's he's the guy that I that comes to mind right away. He's uncommitted now. Um, seems like he's been leaning to Florida State for a while, but Miami is definitely a serious option for him. You know, as as we're into the season, you know, official visits start happening, especially with league, you know conference games coming up. And Miami has had typically had the approach of waiting to to bring a lot of official visitors in in December uh, after the season. But we're starting to see maybe Nate, you're starting to see that change that approach change a little bit. And you know, just, can you talk about that? And also, are there other maybe just general philosophy changes that you're seeing other than going more? In state, are there anything else that that maybe they're doing a little bit differently than they have in the past? Yeah, well, with the uh, like you said, for bringing in official visitors, uh, they typically wait till December and January. Uh, in fact, I checked 
And over the past four seasons that that Al Golden's been the head coach, they've brought in five, a total of five official visitors during the season for a game. And it's it's understandable. I mean, when when Miami tries to sell their program, what they really want to sell and what they want to feature and drive home to prospects is the academics, the family atmosphere around the team, the small campus, the suburban setting, all the stuff that revolves around being in Coral Gables. Whereas uh, the game atmosphere, I mean, everybody knows it's not the most impressive one in college football. Miami struggles with attendance. Uh, you know, they very rarely do they sell out games unless it's Florida or Florida State or an opponent at that level. Um, so Miami, for obvious reasons, ha- doesn't really try to feature their game day atmosphere because they know it's not going to be as impressive as some other places. Um, but this year... And and again, I I'm not exactly sure why. I don't I don't I don't see a clear difference. But they are starting to bring in uh, not a ton, but more guys on official visits for games. They had two two guys in town for the Nebraska game. They have two more scheduled for the Virginia Tech game. I believe they have three more scheduled for Clemson. So in this season alone, they're going to bring in more official visitors for games than they have in Al Golden's tenure combined. Uh, and that was certainly something I noticed because they just didn't. Didn't used to do that very often in the past. Uh, we mentioned some guys that might possibly flip earlier. Are there some guys academically? Because um, that always happens with recruiting, and and that's a big thing. Can they get into school, or will it be a an issue? Are, are there guys that that you guys know of that 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 it could be touchy or, or kind of be something to monitor to be close with with guys uh, that they that definitely will have uh, academic possibly questions. Yeah, I mean, it's no secret. I guess Deontay Mullins is academically ineligible for his high school season this year. And so, you know, certainly that could impact how he gets into college. Um, and, you know, the the thing with the thing with academic stuff is it's so hard to predict. I mean, there's there's guys that you're certain, you know, the fall. Their, their fall senior season that they're just not going to be able to get in. And then they managed to get in. I remember, you know, Treyon Gray, that was a real concern going into, you know, the 11th hour and he ended up getting it at Miami. So it's certainly, it's certainly something to be aware of with certain guys, but you can never write anyone off just because there's, there's night school they can take to replace classes. There's online classes that they can take to replace grades um, so yeah, I mean, Deontay Mullins is, is one guy to watch. Nate, is there anyone else that, that you know of? Yeah. The, the one other guy that I was going to mention is a Cluiston wide receiver commit Reginald Henderson. Henderson is eligible right now, unlike Mullins, but he's got a really interesting story in the sense that he was academically ineligible, both his sophomore and junior seasons. So the fact that he's playing now shows that he he's clearly made some type of progress in the classroom. I'm not sure if he has to make more or if he's already where he needs to be. But any anybody who missed two years of their high school career uh, due to academic reasons is certainly somebody uh, that you wouldn't want to forget about. Now, like I said, he's probably taking steps in the right direction, but uh, you just never know with anybody, either positively or negatively. So he's the other guy that um, – that stay that sticks in my mind as a guy to watch as we get to towards signing day and past signing day before we wrap this thing up is there any other topics that you guys want to address uh before we before we finish this episode anything that comes to mind that you'd like to like to make a point of 
the the only other thing that uh that I kind of wanted to talk about a little bit is um how Miami has been doing recruiting in North Florida. And the the only reason I bring that up is because historically that's been one of the toughest spots for Miami to recruit even though it's in state you might be able to make a case that it's even tougher to recruit there than it is in Georgia or Alabama or or places like that just because the sense that obviously in North Florida that's Florida and Florida State's backyard so not only do the kids grow up following other programs but they grow up around people who don't like Miami they've grown up around Miami being viewed negatively probably by a lot of people around them Um, so for Miami to try to overcome that can always be difficult Uh, and Something I, I looked up, usually Miami on average over the past 10, 15 years usually lands about one or two kids from North Florida each year. So it's obviously not a lot. But right now, uh, on, under Al Golden with the 16, 2017 and even 2018 classes, they have seven kids from North Florida committed. Um, so that was something that stood out to me because that just that just goes against all the trends that there are to be found in Miami recruiting. So it, it's it's kind of impressive, actually, that they've been able to have that type of success in an area that historically has been really tough for them to to operate in. Yeah. And I think one thing just, you know, to to talk about just, I guess, to wrap things up here, um, you know, with with Miami's next three games, Florida State, Virginia Tech, Clemson, uh, you know, how how they do on the field. The, the meat of their ACC schedule here coming up, how they do on the field, is going to have a direct impact on recruiting and, you know, even the future of the program in terms of, of Al Golden. Um, so, yeah, I mean, this is these next this next stretch here is, is going to, to have significant ramifications for the whole program from, you know, the head coach down to the field to recruiting. So it's certainly going to be something to watch here. Yeah, definitely, Nate. You were great. Thanks for uh, thanks for joining yeah. us. Uh, it was it was fun talking. Hopefully, this gives the fans maybe a better understanding of where Miami's at in recruiting. And uh, David, it was good talking to you as always. We'll definitely talk about the Florida State game in a future fo- podcast. Uh, yeah, thanks again for listening, everybody. You know, inside the U dot com at inside the U on Twitter, or you can e- email the show uh, inside the U podcast at gmail dot com. Thanks again.